You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yelton, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. Texas. Both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General John McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Uh, all right, John, you want to do some mailbag questions? I got a little baseball in here. I got a ton of football in here. You want to do some uh, some mailbag? I absolutely want to do all right. mailbag. All right, we do it every Wednesday. We record every Wednesday. H O U mailbag at gmail.com. H O U mailbag at gmail.com. Francisco gets us started in the mailbag. Francisco Guerra says. Um, I'd like to know if Jonathan Joseph is just on the coaching staff temporarily or for the whole season. Um, John, D'Amico Ryans was asked about Jonathan Joseph and the job that he's done as part of the Bill Walsh uh, fellowship uh, coaching program that the NFL has where they bring in uh, minority head or minority uh, potential minority coaches to be part of a of a, a team staff. And Jonathan Joseph is one of those. Uh, can you lay out exactly for Francisco and others interested in J. Joe's future as a coach exactly how that works? Uh, you know, Jonathan made a whole lot of money when he played. And um, every time I talked to him in the locker room, I would tell him, you need to be on a staff or you need to be in a front office dealing with player relations, just something. And I told Bill O'Brien that one time, and he said, when he's done, he's got a place on my staff. So I'm sure Jonathan, would, he knows about the hours. A lot of players don't want to put in the hours that coaches have to. Some do. Uh, but but most don't. But I'm sure Jonathan took that fellowship and worked with the corners and spent a lot of time with Derrick Stingley Jr. to see uh, how he liked it, how they liked him. But I'll guarantee you he has a future as a coach if that's what he wants to do. And uh, he's not on the staff right now. If they wanted to add him, they could. They can add coaches anytime they want. But I believe we'll see him as a full-time coach next year. John, you had mentioned before. It's that's interesting to me because when you said I, you said you told Jonathan you thought he would be good at, at X Y Z, and you've mentioned before since D'Amico was hired that you told D'Amico early on in his career the same thing. Is there a guy that you've told that to before that through your observation you said, man, that guy would make a great coach? You've actually gone and told him that, but they just haven't acted on it. Like who's who's the best player that you've seen that you've said to yourself that guy would be a really good coach, but he's just not a coach. He's just you know, he's doing something else. There were two guys when I started covering the Texans. One was Andy Kalu, and I said, you know, you are to consider a broadcasting career when uh, your playing days are over. And Andy's made a great career as a broadcaster. And of course, he has a commercial real estate business. And then I told Eric Winston, I used to talk to Eric Winston. and said, man, you ought to be a broadcast. Would you be interested in doing something over at 610? And uh, so I, I talked to them. They hired him, and he Boy, he was prepared. Now, he's not doing that. He'd be great at it. And uh, I I try to remember there was uh, 
gosh, my mind has gone blank on this guy. Uh, tight end, uh, Joel. Oh man, Joel Dreesen. Yes, Joel Dreesen. I just talk to Joel Dreesen all the time. And yeah. Joel thought talked to Joel about man, you'd make a you'd make a good coach if you wanted to do that. And then he went into he went into the media business. And D'Amico was a natural. I thought Whitney Merciless was another one that would have been a good coach because of the relationship he had with all the players around him. Mm-hmm. And then his one season here, I took Tyron Matthew about that because yeah. he was such a great leader. Yep. And players listened to the Honey Badger that, that he should consider coaching when his career is over. And, of course, he's still playing for the Saints. Yeah, I've I've always thought Tyron Matthew would make a good broadcaster too. He always he was. He's, he's always struck me as very smart with his answers. He's very thoughtful. Um, searches his own name on Twitter a little too much, I would say. He's got a little bit of rabbit ears, but that's okay. That probably serves you okay in the in the broadcasting community, I would think. Um, so uh yeah, those are interesting names. Uh all right, let's do another question here. This is uh Ryan from the Shug, John. He says Sugarland, but he calls it the Shug. The I've never Shug. heard it called the Shug. <laughs> Ryan from the Shug. He says, I'm hearing a lot about C.J. Stroud's accuracy and ball placement. After watching Hard Knocks with the Jets, I'm drawing comparisons between C.J. and Aaron Rodgers. I know it's hard. I know it's bad to compare a rookie with a Hall of Famer, but if you had to pick a comp for C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson, who are you choosing? So, and I guess he's talking about a comp of what they can potentially become, not who, who they are now, obviously, is who they are now. But John, when you when you hear comparisons or see comparisons or think of that for each of those guys, who do you think of? Will Anderson reminds me of Von Miller, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a little undersized, but a dynamic pass rusher coming off the edge. Von's had a great career. He's on PUP because of a knee injury now. Made a lot of money. Got a chance to go in the Hall of Fame, and that's who other people have made that comparison. But it just seems like such natural fit. As far as CJ, you know, not from a size standpoint, but the way he can throw the ball accurately and drop it in, he reminds me of Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. When Russell came out and he was a, had a winning record as a rookie, and then he became a great great quarterback, he could throw, move his right, move his left. He could bail out and turn either way, and he could throw the ball down the sideline very accurately. He could hit people full stride. And then he could throw the the out routes where he threw them before the receiver tur- turned, and so that's if I had to come up with something uh, right now for the Shug, I would say those two. Yeah, I I, I think Joe Burrow for me is the one for CJ. I, I think there's a lot of similarities with uh, the stylistically their 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 styles of play. Like Joe Burrow doesn't wow you with like a rifle arm or anything like that, but boy, he puts the ball where it needs to be put really good at kind of, you know, managing the game. And I think underrated athletically a little bit too, like CJ is that that's mine for, for CJ, but I can see, I like the Russell Wilson one too. Also um, about, about him. He has great receivers. It's amazing yeah. how much those great receivers can help a quarterback. That is true. Uh, all right. Alex in London is back, John. We're, we're, we're a, a global podcast here. Uh, thanks to the internet. Um, he says, enlighten me, as I'm no cap guru, what benefit does a cap savings cut provide a team just before the start of the regular season, especially guys with only one year left on their deal like Christian Kirksey? Obviously, I get it during the offseason when you got a shot to pick up new free agents, but now I guess you can pick up guys off other people's trash heap? Um, is it just about saving the owner a few million bucks, or is it usually the player wanting to leave for more playing time? 
I would First say just all, go, Alex, I don't say the McNair squat. McNair's yeah. don't care about money. Anybody yeah. that thinks the McNair's let money get in the way is a nincompoop. Yeah. And so that never happens. They yeah. need money to sign extensions for players that are playing. Casario does not have a policy like the Texans used to of not signing players during the season. If he sees somebody deserves an extension, they'll do it. Plus, uh, you're, you're, they don't, they're not cutting guys now for the cap. That's not why they're doing it. If an offshoot of that is it gives them more cap money, it gives them some flexibility for re-signing their players or claiming a contract. Correct. Yeah, cap, a, a cap benefit is just an unintended consequence of these things. It's not the driving force behind it. Um, like you could find eight other reasons to cut Christian Kirksey other than his price tag. I would say too, John, this was going to be my answer right off the top was – you can roll cap space over to the next year. You know, the cap space that they're saving with Christian Kirksey, if it goes unused, rolls into next year. So the cap thing, don't ever look at the cap as just a one-year snapshot sort of thing. In the NFL, it's a fluid year-to-year thing. You can roll cap space over into next year and then have, for the Texans, I, for most teams, I'd say you'd have more money to spend. For the Texans for next year, I'd say even more money to spend because they have among the most cap space in football in 2024. I mean, they're they're – they're like around a hundred million in cap space or something like that for next year. So I would imagine they're going to be big shoppers in free agency next year. And that, that also Casario talked about that in his news conference about rolling it over. Mm-hmm. Some years they've done more than others, mm-hmm. just depending on what they have. And uh, I can't wait to see how he handles that. If indeed he does it, you know, he hasn't spent a lot of money on other people's free agents. He spends a lot of money on his free agents. Yeah. Maybe he'll sign Titus, I mean, he'll sign uh, Laramie Tunsil to another extension that makes him the highest paid lineman in history for the third time. That's in play. That that position <laughs> ages well, John. He'll only be, what, like 31 or 32 when that time rolls around, Laramie. So we'll see. Um, uh, Joe Q, frequent emailer to the show, says, um, I think this one is mostly for me because I was openly hoping for the first pick once the Texans were in that neighborhood at the end of the year. Um, as you look back on the last eight-plus months, how do you feel – now about the last second victory over Indy in week 18. And he just has a few bullet points to unpack the questions. Would the Texans have drafted CJ Str- or I'm sorry, Bryce Young if given the chance? Have you seen enough of Bryce Young to believe he's substantially better than CJ? And um, and then he goes on to talk a little bit more about what kind of season the Texans had that they might not have actually been the worst team in football, anyways. Um, I don't know, John. How do you what what were you hoping for at the time? You were hoping for the number one pick in the draft at the time, right? I think they would have taken Bryce Young, and I think there's nothing that says right now he's a better prospect than CJ Stroud. Both of them have had ups and downs in preseason. Bryce Young went to a better team than the Texans. They traded up from I think the ninth spot to get Young. So he should be better as a rookie because he's got a better team, better players around him. He's got a proven head coach, although let me say, he has an experienced head coach yeah. who um, has one playoff victory over the Texans in his four years at Indy. So they ought to be better, but can't wait to see the game when they play the Panthers and those two go against each other. But uh, right now, I, I would – if you offered me a choice of those two, I'd take Stroud because I know more about him. Yeah, I I guess to answer the the question, I'm totally comfortable with C.J. Stroud. I you know like in, in looking back at how adamant I was wanting the number one pick in Bryce Young, um, I've I've been I'm admittedly easily sold to. I'm a sucker, 
but I CJ Stroud has has sold me just on his potential. You know, I don't know what it's going to look like once the bell rings in week one against the Ravens. I'm guessing that I'm guessing early on it might be kind of ugly for CJ Stroud. Maybe not all his fault, but I think it could be ugly. But I I as far as comparing the two in the moment right now on August 30th or whatever it is, I'm totally cool with CJ Stroud as the future quarterback for the Houston Texans. And another another thing to keep in mind when we're talking about tanking and teams and people like why would lovey smith win that game players always play hard Mm -hmm. players want to win it's ingrained in them they don't want to lose a bunch of them knew they wouldn't be around for this season and if they do something that looks like they don't want to win they could run the risk of injury and then teams watching them may say hey that guy wanted to lose i don't want him on my team Mm -hmm. what you do is you don't give your coach much to work with like the cardinals are doing you know, I think Clayton Toon's going to be their starting quarterback from U of H. And, uh, and, uh, and because they said he did really well, but man, they're getting rid of players over there. They don't want to win. They want to guarantee that they're going to have a shot at, at Caleb Williams or Drake May, whichever one is the highest rated quarterback. I want this is what I want in Arizona, John, because Arizona just bothers me as an organization. I don't know why they're so they're completely irrelevant, but they, I want Clayton Toon to start a quarterback. I want him to win just enough games so the Arizona Cardinals are not in striking distance to move up and get either <laughs> Caleb Williams or Drake May. I want the Texans to win a bunch of games so their other first-round pick is in the teens at the very least somewhere. And then I want them to then move on from Kyler Murray after that, invest in Clayton Toon, and then Clayton Toon turn into a pumpkin in year two, and they're left with nothing. Bubkiss. I'm tired of hearing tired of hearing about what a genius Monty Ossenfort is. And you want the Browns to be the worst team in the league. Uh, that that is undeniable. I'll take that. That's my first pick of any of these things. And honestly, probably for as long as Deshaun Watson is a Cleveland Brown. That's not just a 2023 thing, if I'm being honest. Um, all right, a couple more, John, uh, from the mailbag here. Uh, Melvin in Fort Bend County. Jadeveon Clowney just signed with the Ravens in the last couple weeks. If Jadeveon Clowney did not exist, who do you think the Texans would have taken with the first pick in the 2014 draft? Obviously, they should have taken Aaron Donald. So should a lot of teams, but he went 13th or something like that. Who would they have taken in 2014? That's an interesting question, John. That was Bill O'Brien's first draft. They took Clowney. Who would they have taken if Clowney – let's say Clowney stayed in school – uh, who would they have? Who would they have taken with that first pick? Well, I can tell you exactly where they're taking, and that BS coming out in Johnny Manziel's uh, documentary that the Texans lost interest in him on a golf course. They were never interested. Bob McNair told me off the record months ahead because Clowney was by far the highest-rated prospect in that draft. That's who were, they were taking. There was no mention of Johnny Football, but it makes a good story. Khalil Mack, they would have taken Khalil Mack because they wanted a pass rusher. Problem was, Clowney, as he admitted, was better against the run than he is as a pass rusher. And one reason he's never had 10 sacks. Now, I wonder, they made him an offer of like 75 million. They had JJ making 100 million, and Clowney wanted 100 million. If Clowney had taken that 75, and I don't think he's made 75 million bouncing around the NFL. What kind of career he would have? People, yeah. a lot of people forget he had microfracture surgery, which is about as bad as it can get as a rookie. And then he had two other operations, and he still came on that same day. And then he came back and had nine and nine and a half 
sacks. So I don't think his career here was a bust. He hadn't done anything bouncing around the NFL since Bill O'Brien traded him, but I would have loved to have seen him still be on that line with J.G. Watt and with D.J. Reader on the nose, who they got rid of to keep Whitney Merciless. Sounds weird to say, but if Will Anderson's first five years, I'm not saying with injuries, for, take the injuries out. I'm just talking about purely, I'll say the productivity in Clowney's healthy years. The three years Clowney was healthy, he was a pro bowler. He was literally a pro bowler. He was, you say what you want about no double digit sacks, but he was a really good football player for the Texans, good enough to where he was making impactful plays and he made the pro bowl three years in a row. If, if Will Anderson's first three years are the equivalent of Clowney's three Pro Bowl years that he had, I still think people will look at this trade. Some of it may depend on how the Texans do, obviously. If the, if the first pick that they gave to the Cardinals winds up being a top five pick, Will Anderson almost needs to be a Hall of Famer for people to be able to get a narrative going to justify it. But if he's Clowney for the first three years, it's interesting because Clowney was good but not great. I wonder what people will be saying about that trade if Will Anderson – years one, two, and three are the same as Clowney years three, four, and five. That's a great point. And we also should point out whatever the Cardinals do, they're liable to screw it up. That's a fair point as well. Boy, that's disrespectful to Monty Austin for it, who I just said everybody's giving way too much respect to. <laughs> so good job, John. Way to disrespect him. I like it. <laughs> All right. Um, this is from uh, Jeff F. Jeff F. Please discuss. What technically is your point that Yiner Diaz is a better defensive catcher than Maldonado? I oh, have oh. I have sit tight, John. I have baseball experts. Let me just pause right there. I love how Jeff uh, makes it sound like he has a room full of baseball experts in his house. I have baseball experts that question Diaz's technique behind the plate. Exclamation point. Maybe that's why a few pitchers prefer him. And then he says, "I love your podcast." So Jeff, we we had a little fun with you right there, but we love you that you love us. But John, I, I couldn't disagree more vehemently with loyal listener and lover of this podcast, Jeff F. Jeff, first of all, Maldonado's 37. Last year of his contract, he's going to be gone. His next job will be as a coach and then eventually a manager. Um, let's see. Diaz is hitting more than 100 points higher. He has 19 home runs. He has the second strongest arm in baseball. He threw out three runners in one game. Maldi leads the majors in pass balls, and his framing is is among the worst in the league. Other than that, he's been great. <laughs> yeah, like this, Jeff, go look up, go find some advanced stats, like John just said. Like he's he's literally the the only thing he has going for him is that he's well liked by important people on the pitching staff. That's it. And a manager. But but John, I promise you this: if JV and if Fromber both said we don't want Maldonado catching us anymore. He wouldn't. They Maldonado wouldn't be catching them anymore. No, you're like right. Dust, Dusty's not going to force. He's not going to force Maldonado on those guys. Um, so he's just. And Dusty's not going to throw Maldonado under the bus either. So the fact that those two guys both want Maldonado, Dusty's happy to go die on that hill with Justin Verlander and Framber Valdez. Yeah, could Framber have pitched any worse since All Star? He's had two good games since All Star break. <laughs> Imagine how bad he would have been if Diaz had been a catcher. John, he's had two good games, and in both of those games, he hasn't given up a hit. <laughs> like, it's it's the most schizophrenic thing I've ever seen. It's unbelievable. Diaz and Chaz McCormick should never come out of the lineup. They both hit 19 homers. They're both in the 280s. They've been so much better than anybody anticipated at the plate, and yet they still don't play full-time. Well, Chaz does. 
Chaz plays full time. I, I wrote a column last week where he's been, he was held out of, let's see, it was 127 games and he played in 83. No, I know. No, he was, he, 03, that's over 40 games he was not in. I, no, I get it. But that was early in the season. Like, you can't say he's not an everyday guy now. He's in the lineup every day the last few he months. He wasn't in the lineup yesterday. Uh, yeah, because because he, he these guys, because they rest these guys. John, you're, you're, you're a little too alarmist with this Michael Brantley coming back and replacing Chaz thing. I, uh, you don't often get under my skin like you do to Seth C. Payne sometimes, but that bugged me today, John, when you were already client, crying the blues about Chaz McCormick because he had his first night off in 13 days or whatever it is. I don't want Brantley taking away plays that Chaz – he can't play the field like Chaz, and even when he's hitting 300, he didn't have the power of Chaz, and a couple times he drove in more runs. And, of course, Dusty loves him. He will do that. But I can't wait to see how they put him in. There's a couple – those two guys I would just want in the lineup almost every night except when they needed a breather. I think the guy who's going to get at-bats taken away and Brantley coming back is Yiner. Yeah. I think I think Brantley is going to – Let's. I mean, John, we have to accept the fact that Maldonado is going to play at least 60% of the games. I mean, that's just – it's how it is. I'm not I'm, – you know, don't shoot the messenger. You know this. You watch the Astros every day, every day like I do. Um but now you inject Michael Brantley into the situation. He's not just going to sit there on the bench waiting to pinch hit. He's going to start a bunch of games. I think where it eats into, if I'm looking at, you know, there's only so many at bats that can be doled out in, 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 you know, course across the course of several games. Who does he eat into? I think he eats into Yiner Diaz's DH time. Or maybe, you know, like maybe this means if you want to keep Yiner's bat in the lineup, then Yiner plays first base and it eats into Abreu, you know, like a, there is a rip. It's 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 really interesting because the DH is such a malleable, fluid parking spot for all these guys, and they all DH at some point here, especially Yiner and Brantley and Jordan. That um, it makes for some interesting permutations of lineups here down the stretch and trying to keep certain guys' bats in the lineup. You're absolutely right. And what's good at stretch drive, they're healthy. Other teams yeah. have injury issues right. that they this had is, earlier. This is a good problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a good problem to have. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah, we got our red hot Astro. John, as you and I record this, they're in a virtual tie for first place with two other teams. They are. And it's Seattle dominate has dominated the Astros. The Astros dominated the Rangers and the Rangers have dominated the Mariners. The Astros only have three games left against Mariners and Rangers, but the Mariners and Rangers have seven games against each other. And another thing, the Mariners have not capitalized on playing the White Sox and Royals and the A's in consecutive games to build a, a lead in the division. Like they got beat uh, uh, Tuesday night uh, by the A's. And uh, so I, I I don't see any of them running away with it. And maybe the Astros' health as well as their experience. It certainly helped their bats lately. They yeah. just exploded at the plate. It's so much fun to watch. So maybe that playoff experience will help them over the Mariners and the Rangers, although everybody right now is picking the Mariners to win the division. That is a sexy baseball love triangle, John McClain. The it Mariners sure dominated is. the Astros, the Astros dominated the Rangers, and the Rangers dominate the Mariners. All three teams just sitting there in their bondage suits dominating each other right now in a love triangle. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be more like a hate triangle. There'd be a lot of spanking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And not the sexy kind of spanking either. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, if you want to email the show, you can. H-O-U-Mailbag at gmail.com. John, I think we start doing uh, extra episodes next week because we got a regular season on our uh, 
on our uh, hearts and minds coming up here pretty soon. I look forward to it.